Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing well. How are you doing? I am also doing well. Hot. We are having a big heat wave here. How's your, are you, are you? Oh, my gosh. Lisa and I went out for a walk, and we were both barefoot. Mm -hmm. 
and we we could oh. hardly walk. The road was so hot. Oh, I bet. And they had I just bet. mowed the side of the road, so that was all like, ouch, ouch, sharp, sharp. Oh, ouch, ouch, sharp, sharp. So it was like, ouch, sharp, ouch, hot, ouch, sharp, ouch, hot. And we looked at each other and we went, <clears throat> and I said, okay, go for the yellow line. I don't know if you know, but on a hot road, the yellow line will be the coolest part. Yes, yes. Right, um, so we so just walked up the yellow line <laughs> and went inside <laughs> and had some cool infusion. My gosh. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. 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 So, and the wow. goats don't like the heat, do they? No, they don't. They don't really like water either, but they were actually a little bit welcoming of having some put on them this morning. It was so <laughs> warm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will run like little kittens away from away from the rain. Mm-hmm. 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 They, yes, they always head right into the barn. The older ones first, of course. The little ones, the younger ones are a little bit curious, at least at yeah. our house. Um, but I yeah, use them as weather forecasters. If it's going to rain, they won't go far from home because they know they want to run back. That's exactly, yeah, I was going to say Nanny, the, the oldest of the herd, the, the wise woman, <laughs> the wise female. That's she right. is always for the rain. She she knows when it's coming. <laughs> she knows. She knows just, yeah, she's a matriarch of that herd. She keeps them safe. She totally does. It's been so fun watching her with the kids because if mm-hmm, I take the moms mm-hmm. away for a bit, she keeps watch and plays with them and does it just right. You know, it's so beautiful. Mm. It seems like overnight the elder has burst into bloom. Mm. Time for oh, Elderflower wow. Champagne. Wow. Ah, oh, my. Ours is not in bloom yet. Amazing. I'm it will be tomorrow. I mean, it's just like, boom. It just, you know, it went from, you know, my not seeing any elder anywhere to, like, every roadside I seeing elder. Time is moving, moving, moving this year. It's do, do, going do, fast. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. So many things to do. I um, harvested a big uh, handful of chickweed from a pot. It had been growing in a pot that I want to plant a flower in. Thank you very much, chickweed. Oh, the roots are still there, and I can make a nice little, you know, ground cover for my flower. But I cut off, gave it a haircut off the top, and I brought it to where Nicole, the new apprentice, was. And I said, all right, we got some chickweed. I said, and I harvested it after I watered, so it's kind of wet. So we can make a tincture of it because vodka's wet, so it's okay that it's wet. We can make a vinegar of it because vinegar's wet. I said, well, we can't make an oil of it. And... I wouldn't make a, a honey out of wet plant material. Mm. I said, and in fact, I probably wouldn't make a honey or a vinegar out of chickweed anyhow, although chickweed honey might be, I don't know, interesting. I said, or we could cut it up and put it in the salad. And we looked at it and we thought, yeah, well, it's a little bit ultra salad. So we made a tincture of it. Nice. What do you think of when you think chickweed tincture? 
well, the first word that comes to word, and then I see the the flower. I see like the very delicate um, white, thin, but at the same time very defined petals, um, and then the little glow that seems to come from the inside of all of that intricacy. So, oh. um, like soft, nuanced, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And it is, it's almost like an etching, those five petals so deeply cut, they look like ten, like a little star there. Yeah, I was, I was astonished because I had a, a, like a big uh, open grow box. Um, and there was a lot of Stellaria media and Stellaria pubera there. Um, apparently, the woodchuck came up onto the deck last night and ate all of the Stellaria pubera, the summer chickweed. Wow. And left the Stellaria media totally alone. I'm like, my goodness. First of all, the cheeky woodchuck come up on my deck, the nerve. (laughs) I know it wasn't a deer. He knew there was good stuff up there. (laughs) Those are the only, you know, real herbivores, the skunks. And the raccoons and the owls are not eating my chickweed that we know. <laughs> mm. And the yellow dock is flowering, and when it flowers, it sends up flower stalks, so it has all these little leaves on it. Have you noticed? I have definitely noticed. Lots of yellow ducks. I love those my... little leaves in salad, and there was so much of it this year, I made a pesto. And I picked a few bigger leaves, and I will say, if I make it again, I will take the veins out of the bigger leaves because they definitely made my Cuisinart unhappy, wrapping themselves around the stalk. You know, the leaf part would grind up, but then the vein in the leaf wouldn't. Yes. So I wound up actually kind of going through and hand-picking out a lot of the veins. I'm like, eh. Would have been easier to do this when it wasn't covered in garlic and oil. Oh, thank you for that tip. Because yeah, I'm going to check this out. It sounds delicious and nutritious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know you're just a tiny bit behind me, so you're right at the right place for it. Yeah, we've got so much yellow dock around, and there's some in different stages. So there's some in shadier parts that are just right for this. Yeah. yeah. And this is the Rumix Crispus, the curly dock which is quite good to eat. The Rumex of Testifolia, the broad duck, is not so good to eat. It's more bitter. Okay. No, we, I've listened to you speak with callers, and we have the, the thin curly, so we're, it's definitely that. <laughs> yeah. It was with mm-hmm. a bunch of macrobiotic students taking them on a walk in Syracuse, and we found some broad duck, and I was saying, oh, well, too bad it's not the curly duck because you can eat the leaves. And curly. Look, well, is it poison? I'm like, no, it's just really bitter. Oh, we're macrobiotics. We like bitter. So we hard it to some. Took them back and cooked it, and they put it on their plates, and they all took one bite and not anymore. It is terrifically bitter. <laughs> it's an image oh. that has stayed with me for decades, some of those macrobiotics politely shoving the cooked yellow dock, broad dock leaves to the side. 
Mm. Wow. They were and then, um, let's see, I was with somebody. Two things. One, in Wisconsin, they were putting cleavers in cold water, letting it sit for hours, and it made a very refreshing beverage. Mm. And cleavers is very, very abundant this year, so it's worth trying. And then, wow, two, somebody took... Um, Rumex acetosella, sheep sorrel, or railwort, as the apprentices would have it, um, and did the same thing. Just stuffed a jar with it, poured cold water over it, let it sit for hours. It was really nice. It was like lemonade. Wow. Was there a specific weight or just stuffed the jar like I'm making? Stuffed the jar. And I do that with sumac berries, right? It means way early. The sumac berries are not even thinking yet. But I do the same thing, just put the sumac berries, you know, on their stalks in the jar, cover it with cold water, and let it sit for hours. Those acids, those nice sour acids, the sour taste of summer, are very water-soluble. Wow, I know the sumac berries are so lovely. I've been treated to them at your place, and that is so refreshing. The sheep sorrel is pretty good, too. I don't think it's quite as good as the sumac, but it's good. And in some places, it's really rampant. Wow. I I know I have a lot of cleavers around because, yeah, lots of cleavers. I have to give it a shot with the cleavers. See what you think. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. So let's see. Who is our guest tonight? Our guest tonight is Ashley DeLalo. Ashley DeLalo is the founder and creator of a revolutionary method of neuroscience that helps people break free from chronic pain, limiting beliefs and behaviors and emotions, and to thrive despite being told by doctors but she wouldn't live past her teenage years. Ashley refused to give up when they discovered the secret to rewiring the mind-body. She's now an elite athlete, a TV and Broadway star, an entrepreneur, a mind coach, and a motivational speaker who is going to be here tonight at 9 o'clock East Coast time. So stick with us. Or go do something and come back at night so that you can hear from Ashley DeLillo. The doctors gave her up for dead, and she said, I guess I have to do it myself. And she's going to tell you mm. how you can do it, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Do we have any callers tonight? Uh, we have one hand that has been raised so far. I'll let everybody listening know that if you've got a question tonight, you'll need to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. Uh, so far, let's see, we've got a number dialed in from the 206 area code. From the 206, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Shay. How are you? Hi, Shay. Oh, I love you. How's it going? I love you, too. Um, I am calling tonight because I just wanted, well, I wanted to connect with you, and I just wanted to check in about um, 
my energy level and exhaustion and just every time I connect with you and and ask you to tune in with me, I I always feel like I'm I'm back kind of back pointed toward my own compass. So um as you know, my son died and it's been um it's been a little bit over a year, so April fifteenth was a year. And the what prompted me to call tonight is I just have not been able to get my energy level back up. Um and I I don't know if I have a health issue going on or, or if I am just still worn down from grief or if it's emotional exhaustion. I don't know, but um, maybe, maybe this will help. I believe that everyone has what we're going to call 100 units of energy. Mm-hmm. So everybody has the same amount of energy. Part of that energy needs to be used in internal process. Literally running the body, right? Mm-hmm. Feeding the heart, feeding the cells, oxygen exchange, getting rid of waste, digesting food, blah, 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 keeping everything going. And that includes all those things that you were talking about, where, where your psychic life is at, where your emotional life is at. And whatever energy we don't use in internal process, that's the energy that most people call energy. Mm-hmm. That's what's excess of what you need to stay alive. I have said that when I was put into the recovery room in the hospital after the surgery, that it did not take me long to realize that I could either take care of myself or heal myself. And what I'm talking about is those two uses of our energy. In other words, what I realized was that perhaps for the first time in my life, I needed 100 units of energy in I didn't have enough energy to ask someone to open my suitcase externally. But it didn't mean I was lacking energy. Yeah. You're not lacking energy. You're using your 100 units of energy. Even all this, like, over a year later. You are using your 100 units of energy. You have to decide how you're using them. Mm -hmm. And, of course, one of my goals as I was recovering was to see if there was any energy that I could put out that might get me more energy. Like if I smiled at someone, would they smile back at me and would I feel more energized? Oh, yes. Not big things, but important. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're laying and not allowed to even lay flat on your back. If I invited people to sing, would that bring some energy to me? 
COVID days, I'm laying there alone in the hospital room. And you know I'm not going to watch the TV because that's just giving my energy away. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any energy that you could put out that might get you some energy in? That's what I ask myself in those situations. That is a really fruitful avenue of questioning. Mm-hmm. Not what's wrong with my energy, because there's never anything wrong with our energy. But you sound like you've come to a very important and fruitful place, which is the place in which you said, you say to yourself, I think perhaps I am spending more energy on grief than I want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a place where you can then say, all right. Let me withdraw a little energy from that account and use it in some other way. Perhaps you want to use it to make music. Perhaps you want to use it to read a book. Perhaps you want to use it to draw or paint or sing or dance. Because all of those things will bring you energy, won't they? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that we get to that place with grief, because it doesn't refill. If we use our energy to do things that give us energy back, that's refilling. When we use our energy to do things that don't give us energy back, then we we come to an end with those things. That's and how wonderful that we can come to an end and say, okay, this this is not filling me. Yeah. Yeah. He's not here and your grief won't bring him back. I wish it could. I wish that if we really, really missed someone and felt really, really bad that they were dead, that that would make them come back, but it's never been known to happen. And if he's somewhere where he can apprehend you, whether that's see you or feel you or perceive you or hear you, what do you want to give him? I think you want to give him joy. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So maybe just start with thinking of the tears that you cry, the tears of joy. And finding a little chuckle there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a therapist named Arnold Mindell, and he wrote a lot of interesting stuff. One of my favorite books of his is called Working on Yourself Alone. Hard thing to do. But a concept of his that I really take into is the idea that we have a pain body. Mm-hmm. And that there are things that we do that Feed the pain body. And we can choose whether or not we want to feed that pain body. And I believe that that's one of the things that you are experiencing right now, that you're saying, wait a second. At this point, this is not just like grief. This is actually something that's a little beyond that, and there's actually part of me that's feeding on this pain. Mm-hmm. And you, it sounds like, are at the point where you are looking to see. If you have to keep doing that, and no, you don't have to keep doing that. You do not have to feed the pain body. It's all right to cut off its supply. Goodness only knows, life will bring us enough pain, right? Mm-hmm. And I find, working with this concept, that I can actually feel that. There's a certain kind of crying that is grief and the crying of pain. And there's another kind of crying where I'm feeding the pain body. For me, the feeding the pain body kind of crying tends to be more broken kind of stuff and my eyes swell up so those are two cues that I have for myself that I'm feeding the pain body and I can at any point say your meal is done not doing it anymore going on to the next emotion Yeah. To me, it feels like wading into a warm body of water and, like, diving into it over and over and over. Like, the water's not coming to me. I'm going to it. So you can make a choice. Mm-hmm. So even when I get home from work every day, and I've never been a person who takes 
nap when I get home from work, but every day for a year and a couple months, I get home and, like, immediately I take, like, a two- or three-hour nap. <laughs> and I've been asking myself, am I, is this just part of getting older? Is it, Am I, like, really physically tired? Is this grief processing? Is there something wrong with me? Why am I so... Why am I so tired? But Well, you know why you're so tired, Chip. That kind of tired is depression. And there are no depressed women. There are only angry women. Yeah. I am really fucking angry. You sure are. Good for you. I appreciate the invitation to take my power back in terms of what can I do that would bring more energy in and how can I stop feeding the pain body if I'm conscious of it. Mindful use of my energy, like not spacing out, watching, you know, I don't know, watching a show on Netflix or something, because that does not feed my energy. Usually not. Anger shows us where we need to remove an obstacle. You know what it did for me? It got me to leave this terrible city. <laughs> I'm moving at the end of the month to the Blue Ridge Mountains. I got a little cabin in the woods. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> My little cabin in the woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I bet when you go out next spring, you're going to find lady slippers. Mm, oh, my gosh. <laughs> mm. Mm. So I'm making my way there. Yay, yay. So I heard from Lisa that I will soon get to see you. I'm so happy. Even if only yes. briefly. Yeah. Well, oh, no. thank it was you. Cole, it was Colleen. Colleen, yeah. Colleen, not Lisa, sorry. Mm-hmm. Lisa and Colleen mm-hmm. and I were sitting together and talking, so <clears throat> I confabulated them. Yes, I've heard yes. about the metal patch project. Yes. It's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I love 
Thank you. I'm going to be calling you to talk about my plant ally soon. Um, oh, good. Well, I can share with you because I know you will be as outraged as I am. This morning, my group, the group of women who participated in the book Four Mothers of Women's Spirituality, I've talked about this yeah. group before. The university press emailed us all at once, and we just kept the email going. We've just been, you know, because you can just push send, and you get all 30 of us. So it's great, mm-hmm. you know, and then everybody can read what's going on, but you don't have to respond. Mm-hmm. Right? And some of us are more active than others. Well, this morning, there was a general hue and cry and outrage because it was just Pride Day, and have you seen the new <clears throat> flags and their <clears throat> explanations? Yes. Are you talking about the one that now it has? I'm talking about the lesbian flag in which a lesbian is defined as a non-male. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, really the pride flag is not about lesbians or gays anymore. It's all about the transgender movement and cult. Like that that's the only thing. It's completely taken over. Um any any area that used to be about creating space for gay people, it's just so horrible. And especially lesbians. I and I'm talking I'm to not, my granddaughter who doesn't understand why defining a lesbian as a non-male who likes non-males is a problem. Oh, my God. Well, I said the first word in the definition of a lesbian is woman. That's right. A woman who loves women. I am not a non-anything. Mm-hmm. So I just thought I would share that bit of outrage with you. Thank you for being oh outraged with me. I appreciate your outrage. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, Shay. There is, and they will never fully suppress us because we're too powerful. Keep trying, and they're not going to win, but it is (laughs) – we have to fight, and I see it with my young students who are being groomed by these – narratives and by what they're bathing in on social media and you know it's like 75 percent of these young people who are caught up in the social contagion of transitioning are females and most of them are lesbians and i'm standing there just trying to you know represent like women can be all kinds of ways don't ask me my pronouns that's like you're that's like you're telling me that I'm not enough of a woman or something. Or mm-hmm. I'm not the right kind of that's actually not a sign of respect. That's extremely offensive and dehumanizing. Do not fucking ask me my pronouns ever again. Mhm. Mhm. Yes, I agree with you. Or as I say we only need pronouns if we're talking about someone behind their back. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. So let's not gossip and then we won't need pronouns. At any rate, I love you. And I'll see you soon. I love you too. Okay. All right. Green Green black. Bye bye.
for Susan this evening, you'll need to press one to get yourself lined up in the queue. We have our next caller who's dialed in from the 914 area code. From the 914, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. First time caller here. Uh, my name is Alexis, and it has been very insightful to be on this call this far. Um, and my question is for my daughter, um, she recently um, got diagnosed with CPP, or essential precocious puberty, um, and we talked at length with some doctors about um, traditional Western medicine treatment, which we don't feel is right at this time. She's um, eight, and in like the 10 or stage two or three of puberty, um, she had a four-inch growth spurt this year, um, and we're just looking for other ways uh, maybe to keep. So she is developing secondary sexual characteristics. Correct. Uh, um, and yeah, so has she started yeah. menstruating? Not yet. So that's really um, the reason for my call today is to see if there's any herbal medication or any herbal treatment that we could give her um, in place of the traditional like Lupron injections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, no. The basic answer is no. But there are a few things you can do. We do know that the master control glands, especially the pineal, but also the pituitary, in the brain are very light sensitive. The pineal actually is impacted by light even when the eyelids are closed. Okay. And there are two primary triggers for puberty in humans. One is how much light has the pineal had at night? And two is how good is the diet? The more light at night and the better the diet, the sooner puberty will be. So at this point, If you are not already enforcing that your daughter sleep in the total dark, it is one of the few ways you have to slow down what's happening. Okay. And to everybody listening, if you have daughters or granddaughters and you're letting them sleep with a nightlight, stop it now. Even having telltale lights on from computers, phones, and other things in the bedroom disrupts normal Hormonal signal exchange, including the very important hormone melatonin. It's one of the reasons why there's so much more reproductive problems in people who work the night shift because of that night light. Okay. Okay. So dark, dark, dark. No, you know, even if she's up for it, even a sleep mask, so that she's really in the dark and that. Peniel's not getting a bit of light at all. Could you make her diet less wholesome, less nutritious? It's kind of odd thing to do or to even talk 
about because, of course, we want the best for our children. We want to feed our children the best. Yeah. But at this point, if you were to, say, deprive her of fat, have her go on an ultra-low-fat diet where she didn't eat any meat or any cheese, or, um, you know, anything that she had was fat-reduced. There are fat-reduced cheeses or 75% fat-reduced cheeses, which are very good. Yeah. That would also slow this down. So are you are you talking, Susan, particularly about um, excluding meat and cheese and fat from the diet at this time? I am saying that the two most critical factors in the onset of puberty are how much light at night the pineal gland is receiving and how rich and healthy the diet is. And if we can change either or both of those things, we can slow down what's happening. Okay. It's not a very pleasant thing to think about, to say, what? You're telling me that basically if I starve my child, that she won't go into puberty so fast? Well, yes. Okay. Understood. Which is why most people use the hormones if that's what they want. The other thing, of course, that you could do is to help her and counsel her. It will be difficult for her. She will be outside of her peer group. But it doesn't have to be the end of the world for her. No, and, you know, she's very mature in that we've been talking and she's been prepared with, uh, you know, a a prepared uh, envelope in her book bag for the whole year. Um, And we've talked about it at length with her, and we're okay with that. Um, And knowing that there are some things that are in our control, I think, are helpful as well. Um, But, like I said, at this time, I, I don't foresee the hormone treatment being the best option for our family at this time or for her. I completely agree with you. I certainly wouldn't want to use the hormone. And my choice would be more like your choice, which is to prepare her and support her. Okay. Um, And is there anything that can be done throughout the day? I know you said dark, dark, dark at night. Um, You know, of course. No uh special thing during the day. Okay, okay. Yeah. And, again, it's ironic that in order to forestall puberty, what we have to do is to take in too few calories. Okay. But the body is saying, okay, well, you're getting enough calories. You can make a baby. Right. Right? This is true. And you're saying, let's not. And so since that's coming from having a excellent, you know, diet that's providing enough calories, we can change that by not providing enough food. Okay. And depending on how she feels about it, she may or may not go along with it at all. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if she's not going to go along with it, you're probably not going to do it. Right. Right. None of us want to starve our child. But if we say, 
hey, you know, one of the things that causes early puberty is having good amounts of fat and protein in your diet and having enough calories. And if you are willing to go hungry for a while, it could slow this down. Are you willing to give that a try? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Hang on. Well, just this is... How hot is that pan? Still warm? Barely. Then if you can, put it in the refrigerator, please. Just in this refrigerator. There you go. We're um, putting away dinner. And so I wanted to know how hot the soup pot was because I don't want to overburden the refrigerator. But it's cooled off had... quite a bit. We've been sitting here I talking for a while. Been a wonderful uh, fish stew for dinner. Oh, but I'm time to get it in the refrigerator. Thanks. Well, Susan, I appreciate all of your knowledge and um, all of your information on the subject. You are welcome. Can you tell me what this child's name is? Sure. Her name is Viviana Grace. Viviana Grace. Thank you so much. It just helps me think of her as a real person. Yes. And she's a very happy and joyous eight-year-old. Oh, how wonderful. This is going to be a special thing for her all of her life. Yeah. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. Green blessings. Thanks for your call. Thank you. All right. And at this time, um, we do not have any hands raised. I will remind everyone listening. Oh, look at that. No problems in the world. I cherish these moments. There are no problems. Check it out, gang. For just however short it is or however long it is, we are in a state where everything is just Fine. And you were about to say that people can push one if they have a question. That is so true, yes. If you have a question this evening for Susan, you just have to press one and you will be next in the queue. If you're not next, you'll be next to next. Um, if there are no what questions. did I ask you to do? This time, um, we'll find out what Susan wants to do next. Maybe she wants to read a little bit of the Goldilocks tale, or if not, um, I have a good question. I'll be self. You'd like to entertain that? <laughs> sure. And okay. I, I realized that we didn't read the story last week, and one of the reasons we didn't read the story is because I'm not where the story is, and I didn't bring the story with me. And so my apologies to everybody who's going, read the story, read the story, we want to know. I will do my best to bring it next week so that we can continue reading the story of Goldilocks and what's happening. Mm, double cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, okay. So I, I, I am, have no diagnosis because I am only an observer in this situation, but I have observed something with one of the ghosts, the baby the kids. So I see, um, I've seen it twice. Both times she's full. It's at the end of the day. And it's when she is upset. I've separated her from her mom and she's crying. And so when she does that and I'm able to replicate it, um, I see the tiniest, like maybe not the tiniest. I see like a golf ball size bulge on her right side 
um, if you were to put your hand like where the leg starts to go up at its highest point and then up, run your finger up to her spine, right in between those two places in the very soft spot in her right abdominal area. Um, and it feels like a hernia because when I push it, it feels like an empty sponge. But have you ever seen like that? Does that, if, and I can replicate it by putting my hand underneath her and pushing up on her abdomen. So like if I push where her belly button or umbilical cord was and push up, it will then push out. So I, I can like, well, yeah. your explanation sounds reasonable to me. I haven't ever seen anything like that, nor heard of goats getting a hernia, but it's not, strictly speaking, impossible. People tend to get hernias at specific places. People get inguinal hernias, which is in the groin, where there's an opening in the intestinal muscles to allow the testes to descend. And that opening is there in both men and women. And that creates a weak spot that is where hernias develop. And the vast majority of hernias are inguinal hernias. There are also hiatal hernias, which are hernias at or around the belly button. And up near the, the breathing. And those are much more difficult to deal with. And we're not quite as sure, you know, what weakness leads to those. So the spot that you're talking about doesn't sound like either of those spots. No. And, of course, well, the male goat's testes are quite a bit forward of where a boy's testes would be. They're in the middle of his body. Not so much the middle, but, I mean, you can see them from the back. But his whole thing is much more um, forward than than you think of in humans. So yes, my neighbor commented on that. <laughs> right? It's like amazingly far forward of where you would think it would be. <laughs> a little alarmed. They're like, "What is that liquid leaking from that goat?" And I was like, "He is going to the bathroom." <laughs> right? He's peeing. He's like, "What?" From his middle? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's where it is. <laughs> yeah. They have horses, and they were surprised that it was so far forward. <laughs> right. But this exactly. is on the girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so um, it doesn't sound like any of those places, but, hey, it's a goat. Who knows? Um, it does not sound threatening. The threatening part of a hernia is if the intestine gets pushed out and the muscle snaps shut and strangulates the gut. Okay. But it doesn't okay. sound like that's Great. happening. No, she seems super healthy. So a hernia in and, and of I... itself is not a problem. Okay. So one follow-up question to that then would be, I have been slightly hesitant to encourage like myself to separate her from her mom so that I can have more of the milk because when I do, it that's the two times that I've seen it most pronounced. And 
the one thing that I read on a goat forum online said, just like you, we have not heard of this in a long time, and normally they'll resolve themselves. And the way the woman described it, it was, it sounded in a similar, it sounded in a similar way. The place, I, it was hard based on her description, but it was provoked by the same circumstances, full and crying, and you could see it, you know, upright to the right of the spine. So um, do you think I should hold off on separating her from her mom in order, you know, so that I can have some more of the milk? Or um, only be more and more traumatic the longer you hold off. I was just thinking maybe if her muscles tightened up that that would go away. But if it's not in a sensitive place, then okay. No, that's not going to happen. No, you're you're better off. You know, we do it in a graduated way. We put them away in the afternoon, and they're separated in the afternoon, and then, you know, then we gradually separate them at night. Okay. That's what I had started to do, and they're with Nanny, and they're they're, they're just new. So, okay, thank you. I I just didn't want to miss an opportunity to let the muscles strengthen, you know, by having her always working it with her crying. So that's all. I'm comfortable. Thanks. Yeah. Those muscles are working. Her crying isn't making them work. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, and yeah, and the, the sooner she knows that you're going to be separating her, the less she'll cry. Okay. Right. Once it's yeah, a they, given deal, then she's going to stop crying because she doesn't right. get any any results from crying, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The two times that she's cried, we've seen it. I've seen it through. I've gone the five hours and All everybody's right. happy afterwards. All good. There you go. So I just <laughs> right. be just... sure that I, you know, I'm a first timer too. So <laughs> wanted to be sure. <laughs> I feel so- Wisdom. Thank you, Susan. You're so welcome. Um, and it, it looks like we do have a caller that has um, pushed one and signaled that they have a question. So are you ready for our next caller? I am. All right. Excellent. Our next caller is dialed in from the 704 area code. From the 704, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi, I'm so excited to talk to you. I've never called in before, but I just love you so much and I'm so grateful for everything that you share. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I actually have a goat question, too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a new goat owner, and um, I was wondering what you do for parasite prevention with the goats with the animals themselves and also I have children and they're really hands-on and they they love spending time with the goats as well and I was wondering if I needed to do any parasite prevention with them too or mitigation or any you know mm-hmm. if I even need to the only that. goat parasite that your children could get would be lice okay most goats don't have lice. Yeah. So it's you. Your goats probably don't have lice. And goat lice, no, they, they can't live on your children. They can walk around on your children. They can bite your children. 
they'll live, I don't know, for a couple of days, and then they just die because they can't actually, their mouth parts are wrong for biting people. Yeah. So it doesn't really work. Uh, any other parasite they can't really get. How do goats get parasites? Goats get parasites from their pasture. Mm-hmm. Parasites have a life cycle. So the goat consumes the parasite eggs as it's eating on the pasture. The parasite eggs hatch inside the goat. They turn into adult parasites. They mate. They lay eggs, and those eggs are passed with the goat's feces into the pasture. Then the goat eats the eggs. So there's a cycle. Mm -hmm. Mm Any time any animal is confined to a pasture, there will be parasites. My goats are not confined. Mm-hmm. My goats eat off different pastures. They go in the woods. They go in the field. They go in the rough field. They go in the mowed field. They go around the pond. They go um, through the rocks. So it's almost impossible for a parasite to set up a cycle. Mm-hmm. So even if the goat ate some parasite eggs and those parasites hatched and made more eggs, the goat would be unlikely to browse again in the spot where it had shit, so it's not going to pick up the eggs at the time it needs to to keep the cycle going. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I don't put any food of any kind for the goats on their floor. Not that they would eat it, but I've seen people yeah. do it. I have seen people throw hay on the floor for the goats, and if they're sufficiently hungry, they will eat hay off the floor. They disdain it. So I'm sure that you have hay feeders. Yeah. Yeah. As all good goat keepers do, because we know that feeding the goats from the floor is a way to have parasite problems. Mm -hmm. I visited a very large goat farm in New Zealand, and they had actually done trials of herbs to help prevent parasites. And interestingly enough, the herb that works the best, and we're talking about, this is a farm that had 300 goats, so they were looking for something they could just grind up and put in the feed. And what worked best for them at preventing parasites was echinacea. Mm. And they ground it up, added it to the feed at the rate of about a teaspoon to a tablespoon per goat per day. Mm-hmm. When I thought maybe there would be a parasite problem, I would make sure that the goats ate Artemisia, some kind of Artemisia. Artemisia absinthum is wormwood. Artemisia vulgaris is cronorta mugwort. All right, there's lots of Artemisias. Artemisia tridentata is sagebrush. So wherever we live, mm-hmm. there's usually an Artemisia. And like the wormwood, they are anti-parasite. Now, I don't have to give the goats any because it grows in several places where they can browse it whenever they need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is so great. I, I knew this intuitively, but it just hearing it from you makes me feel so much more secure. <laughs> the goat, like, 
if you're reading online in the goat forums in the farm store, they it's really kind of scary about parasites. So it just didn't feel right. Mhm. Scary about what happens to the goats with parasites? Yeah, and just about prevention and yeah, they, I, yeah, they're just trying to sell parasite um, medicine, I guess. When I first started keeping goats and I subscribed to the Dairy Goat Journal, the mm-hmm. idea was that you should give your goats a deworming chemical four times mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. And you can't drink the milk for three days after you give them this chemical. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah. how healthy can that be for the goat if I can't drink the milk? Yeah. So I stopped doing yeah. it. It just, like for you, it didn't seem right to me. And I'm not keeping 300 goats. Yeah. Are you? I'm not either. No. no I have four. Right. Mm-hmm. We have tiny herds. We have micro herds. Right. Right? Our considerations are much less because we can give individual care to each animal. Mm-hmm. If an animal gets anemic, you will notice. It's yeah. one of the first signs of a parasite often. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But the okay, kind of scary things that they talk about happening are happening in big herds. Right. Where it's difficult to give that much individual attention. Not impossible, but more difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. Thanks That's for your question. Very- what are the names of your four goods? We have Daisy, Dandy, Mia, and Agent Starling. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Love to you and the goats. Green blessings and good night. Good night. <laughs> All right. And we have one caller that has uh, pushed one to get themselves lined up in the queue and signal that they have a question this evening. Our next caller dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi, this is Tatiana. Hi, Tatiana. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I forgot to make myself anonymous. Ah, Oops. (laughs) A very sensitive subject. (laughs) This is an anonymous caller. We do not know who this is. Okay. Thank you. Well, anyway, um, something extremely unexpected and wonderful happened. A man? Yay! Yeah. Well, I didn't have a man in 25 years. Um, You didn't have what? I didn't have a sexual intimate relationship for 25, the last 25 years of my life. I thought that's what you said. And now? And now I still don't have it, and I'm terrified, and I'm reaching out for support. Uh, The support has to be with the fact that 
um, I have a heart condition, and if I get too excited or too upset or too anything, um, I get pains in my chest. Um, I might have a stroke. My doctor said I can get a heart attack any time because I refuse invasive surgical procedures. And um, I uh, am uh, heavily overweight. I know there is a man for every weight of a woman, but I am concerned about that as well. So with my present condition, even though my heart opened and I feel like I'm 16 years old in my heart, I'm 80 years old in my body. What do you think about that? I want to know how the other person feels. Well, uh, he is, uh, first of all, we didn't talk about these things, but he is flirting with me daily, and there is, and there was an instant phenomenal past life regression style attraction between us when we met, and we didn't do anything about this except being social and polite. And every morning I come back from my walk. He pops out of his house on his way to his car. And that's when we exchange a few words. And I told him that I'd like to see what he's doing. He's doing interesting things. I'm interested in that, something I did in the past myself in Manhattan. And... um, Nothing happened uh, except that I feel intensely excited, mm. which is good. I mean, that's nothing wrong about that. That sounds yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I'm really worried about when you were 16. I'm going to guess, and I could be totally wrong about this, but when you were 16, when most of us were 16, we tended to take things, mm, if not exactly slowly, in steps. I'm very slow now. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is indulge yourself in every step of the way. I lost my virginity at the age of 19, and I regretted that I waited for so long. And the first man I went to bed with said that I wasn't a virgin. Offended <laughs> <laughs> me greatly. Offended me greatly. Yes. And so one of the things that happens to us is once we have, you know, that that experience of that, that it tends to take center stage. And everything else is made a bit clear. And what I'm saying is you have an opportunity here to push that event to the side and make everything else the important thing. The glances, the looks, the fantasies, the touches. I do that. That's my forte. Being feet on the ground is not. But in my imagination, I am number one. Absolutely. And who knows where it will go? Yeah. 
and it might, and even if it doesn't, you have, you know, what's that song, You Loved Me Once in April and I'm Glad? Yes, yes, even the memory of that is... is even the memory of yes. that yes. is worthwhile. I, I, I really hear your joy. Yes. And I really hear your fear that you would like to keep the joy and maybe even have some more, but you don't want to um, um, risk dying from joy. <laughs> right, right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you you know, you need to um, be very, very clear with yourself mm-hmm. about the boundaries that allow you to retain emotional stability. That's what you're talking about, right? Yes, yes. That you need to maintain your emotional stability. And to do that means that you have to be very clear with yourself about being your own ground. Yeah. What happens, and I'm not in any way saying it's wrong, frequently when people fall in love, is that they share an emotional ground. And any upheaval then in the emotional ground of one becomes an upheaval in the emotional ground of the other. And this is not something that you right now... um, Want to risk? Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or that you're, you know, closed. It means that you aren't mature enough to know that um, ultimately it is always, it always comes down to your emotional ground, doesn't it? Absolutely, yes. And that. Something that was difficult for me in relationships because I'm too open. Yes. Even if I'm not in an intimate relationship, I'm too open to anything and anybody. And that's why I carry weight of other people, uh, uh, pain of other people and the weight of their emotions in me without yes. really being interested. Right, right. So to be clear about your emotional ground. And perhaps um, this love affair, um, it actually shows you the path to claiming that emotional ground and not having to carry anyone else's pain. If I learned to do that, I didn't learn and I tried from very young Mm -hmm. to, to have boundaries and I I am made without them. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I managed. I mean... It, you it have. Looks, Very well. Right, it looks like a, a semi... And for 80 years already. Good work. Yeah. 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 It did. Somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh. It's a new big page, and it's a gift from God. I did not believe after my 
intimate connections of the past that I'll ever fall in love again with anybody. And they just dawn on me like a blessing out of nowhere. And the man is very nice. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, he's really... The energy is nice. The, the the feeling, the sensitivity, there is a richness to his soul. That mm. We are never too old to share. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And it sounds like this isn't someone who needs to share pain with you. No, he is very uplifted and up into, he is very physically active in what he's doing, and he looks uh, like a rare bird in my environment. Aww. He's a little sick and a little disabled and a little off the wall, you know, like people. Anyway, he is old and healthy and uplifting. Oh, my God, what a gift. What an amazing and wonderful gift. I'm so glad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for calling it, sharing it with us. Thank Joy you. shared is magnified. Oh, thank you, Susan. You're very special and very much part of my heart. Thanks. Oh, I just feel that too. Green blessings for sure. Wow, I'm smiling ear to ear. I I feel that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, all right, we do not have a hand raised at this time. I will remind everyone listening, if you have a question or would like to speak with Susan this evening, you'll need to press 1 to get yourself lined up in the queue. Um, we do have an email question, if um, you would like to hear that. Yes, please. Okay. All right. Sorry, I did, my printer wasn't working, so I, I had to rewrite it, so it might take me, my writing's a little messy even to myself, but here we go. Okay. Uh, hi, Susan. I've come to your books in search of herbal knowledge, and I've discovered and uncovered I was given your Healing Wise book by a friend, and I'm fascinated and enlivened by the wisdom that you share. I'm hoping that you can help me understand the holographic understanding concept that you discuss in the Healing Wise book. I am intrigued by the idea that our emotional, energetic, and dream bodies, as well as soul aspects and subtle bodies, could be as integral to our whole experience as our physical body. I would appreciate any further understanding you could provide. Thank you. Well, I'm not sure if this is actually the answer that you're asking me for. Um, But the question that I heard was to explain about holographic healing. So we first have to know what a hologram is. And many years ago, I was on someone's radio show, and they said, can you spell holistic health for me? And I said, 
sure. H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C. And he said, well, I am glad that someone can spell it correctly. He said, because lots of people are spelling it W-H-O-L. He said, but it's not holistic. It's from the hologram. And that's why it's holistic, H-O-L. And a hologram, as we know, is a photograph. But it's a special kind of photograph that operates in ways that are very non-intuitive. A hologram is a photograph that can't be diminished. By that I mean, suppose we have a hologram that is inches tall and four inches across, and we cut it in half, so we have two holograms that are four inches by four inches. We do not have a top half of the hologram and a bottom half of the hologram. We have two whole holograms, both of which show everything that was in the original hologram, top to bottom, side to side. It's all there. It's a little bit fuzzier. It's lost some definition. We can continue. We can take one of our four-by-fours and cut it into four pieces, each one-by-one. And each one of those will be a whole photograph, top to bottom, side to side, nothing missing, but fuzzier, less definition, less clear. Most human beings, especially nowadays, are brought up in cultures in which we get the idea, either being told directly or indirectly, that there are certain ways that we can be in certain parts of ourselves that are okay in other parts of ourselves that aren't okay. And we begin to cut our holograms. Here I am. I have all of me. And I'm being told that my mommy doesn't like my tone of voice. And I'm dependent on my mommy and I need my mommy for food and shelter. So I'm going to cut away that tone of voice. Because it threatens my survival. I'm still whole. I still have everything, but I'm a little less defined. I'm a little less clear. And we continue to do this, and we become sometimes quite frantic doing it when we're teenagers and begin to feel less and less real because of it. Even though we are whole and we're undeniably whole, we feel unclear. And unclear is the exact right word. We are. We're unclear. We're fuzzy. We don't have the definition that we should have because we've been cutting ourselves to pieces. And we can call those pieces anything we want. We can call them psychic things, we can call them auric things, we can call them other bodies. People all over the world have different ways of languaging and envisioning 
these pieces of our hologram that we cut away. They don't leave. They're still kind of, we might see them in like an electron cloud around us. And so we can recover them and bring them back. Now, I don't know if truthfully you can take two small holograms and tape them together and get a bigger one. I don't really know if that would work. But I know that in humans, in terms of holographic healing, it does work. That you can go back to the 10-year-old who made a decision and say, I love you. That was a good decision for you then, but I'm much older now, and that's not a good decision for me. What I want to do is take care of you so that we can be free of this decision. Because that decision was to cut off some part, right? Let me take care of you so we don't have to cut off this part. Mommy's no longer in charge. Daddy's no longer in charge. The, the school teacher's no longer in charge. It's me now. And I will take care of you. So we don't need to cut ourselves down to size. You saw this when you were here apprenticing. That how many apprentices come here thinking that there's a way to do it right and a way to be perfect. And how unhappy they are when they discover there's nothing that's right and there's nothing that's wrong either. And there isn't any way to do it perfect because there isn't any way to not do it perfectly. Oh, yes, yeah. I don't know if I've gotten it, but I think I finally figured out the Baba Yaga story. And, wow, it's so easy. It makes so much sense now. And the chickens running around the house on, you know, with just the legs makes so much sense. I get it. And, yeah, what you said, seeing you just sum it up right there at the end. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So holographic healing is, I talk about going to the dungeon and throwing up in the doors and letting all the prisoners out. I talk about having a big party and inviting all of the parts of yourself as though it were a family gathering and you wanted every possible relative to be there, even the ones you don't like. What most of us find out when we invite the entire family to come to our party is that the ones that were scary are actually kind of small. And that they were more scary because we had them locked up. It's certainly one of the things, one of the, the statements that I find that I at some point make to virtually every apprentice, which is, The place you're at here, the Wise Woman Center, is a safe place for you to try out all of the parts of yourself there are, including the parts of yourself that you've been hiding, the parts of yourself that you don't like, the parts of yourself that you're at odds with. You can be a wild woman here. And I will reassure you that you have been house-trained And that when you leave here, no matter how wild you get when you're here, 
and you will walk back out there and someone will say, how are you? And you will say, fine, thank you, how are you? (laughs) You've been domesticated. It's not going away. But you can throw off those traces at least for a short amount of time while you're here and see what it would be like to be your whole self. You have certainly taken that up and taken it up in a brilliant and beautiful way, Sarah Ellen. Oh, thank you, Susan. Oh, my goodness. I love to hear you say that. It's I My life has been so enriched ever since I decided to go and be with you at Laughing Rock. It was never in a gajillion years what I would have expected for myself, and obviously it was just what I needed. And, um, oh, it feels so good. It's so much Oh, it's just so joyous to know. Like you say, we all live charmed lives and to just step into it and to own even the parts that may not seemingly be appreciated by others. It's amazing how owning them and being with them in the present rather than kicking it down the road, it unfolds the most glorious things. And that charmed life, like, comes to fruition even more. It's like... Oh, instead of being afraid of doing something, just stepping in and doing it if you know that's what needs to happen rather than trying to placate it or hold it for someone else. And then, you know, just like the caller said who gave her name but would rather stay anonymous, like the universe will deliver the most amazing things when you're not expecting them. But it doesn't mean that you don't, you you still need to live in awareness and presence to get to that place. And when you do, wow, the charms are amazing. So yeah, being able to live in my wholeness, oh, has just brought that full front into my life. And I love it. I love it. And I, it's like once I didn't just stop the place I've, I've taken it, like you said, it's taken a while to like fully embrace it, but I just, own it and it's so much better it's so oh it's just it's too much work not to anymore (laughs) it's so much fun to have fun it really is and i don't care it's so much fun to have fun some people um we were out um by the road with the goats you know that there's a road not a really busy road but there's cars that go past on the road, like maybe there's a car every 10 minutes, right? It, or if mm-hmm. it, it, that. I mean, you know, like we said, oh, look, two cars in a row, you know, that kind of road, right? So we're out there, and the goats are grazing along the side of the road, and these people pull up beside the road and jump out of the car and say, oh, my gosh, you have goats. Oh, you have goats. We want to see your goats. Well, hey, people who love goats, they've got to be good people for sure. You know, and we're talking, and we're talking about their goats and our goats and all of this. And, and they say, oh, you know, the, the babies. And, and I say, yeah, and those babies are going to be eaten soon. And they're like, <gasps> and they're, mm. they're not happy with this at all. And I talk about making cheese, and they're even unhappier. And she says to me, we're vegans. Actually, I call them oh. vegans. She probably said we're vegans. <laughs> And um, I looked at her very conversationally and said, oh, really? Why do you hate animals? And she couldn't couldn't really believe that I had said that. 
And she kind of shook herself, and, she, and I said it again. I said, so why is it that you hate animals? And she said, I, I, I love animals. I said, really? If I said, I love you, stay away from me. Don't come in my house. I don't want to see you. I don't want to speak about you. I don't, don't touch me. Would you feel loved? And she said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about how you treat animals. It's not with love. I said, people who won't eat animals condemn animals to the worst possible lives because we only vote with our money. And if you want to see animals kept well, then you eat meat and you buy the best meat, the best raised meat. Over the past 20 years, we have seen a tremendous resurgence in pasture-fed animals because we've been demanding it. We don't have lots of small farms raising pasture-fed animals for vegans, now do we? Mm. Never heard that. She <laughs> looked at me. She couldn't believe that I was saying this, right? She had never heard anybody say anything other than, if you love animals, you don't eat them. And for me to say that if you love animals, you must eat them, was just she just like couldn't really quite cope with it at all, and I was having so much fun that I decided that I would really go for go for broke, and I again in a rather conversational tone said, "Oh, do you eat organic food?" And they mm. both said, "Well, yes, of course we eat organic food," and I started jumping up and down and saying. You can't eat organic food. You can't eat organic food. It's grown with animal shit. It's grown with animal shit. It's animals, animals, animals. You're eating when you eat organic food. You have to eat chemicals. Chemicals. You have to eat chemicals. And they ran from their car and jumped in and drove away as fast as they could. <laughs> you blew their minds. <laughs> wow. And I not only had a great time doing it, I have had a great time talking about it. Mm. And nobody got hurt. No. Nope. Nobody gets hurt when you blow their mind. No, and, no. And they're going to be thinking about that. Yeah. Awareness. It's like seeing something. You can't unsee it. You can't not think about what I said once you hear me say it. Right. Yeah, they had to run to take some moments to integrate process maybe, and that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. And here we are at 9 o'clock. Yes, and our guest is with us. And welcome to Ashley DeLalo, founder of a revolutionary method-based neuroscience to help people break free from chronic pain and limits, like limiting beliefs or behaviors or emotions. She wants you to thrive in your life. Now, she was told by doctors that she wouldn't live past her teenage years, but she refused to give up and finally discovered the secret to rewiring her body-mind connection. Now, Ashley is an elite athlete, a TV and Broadway Waystar, an entrepreneur, a coach, and a motivational speaker. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. We're fascinated with the fact that the doctors told you you weren't going to 
lived very long, and you said, hmm, I'm going to figure this out. You were a teenager then? Yeah, I was 13 years old at the time. And, and, uh, and what happened? Were you in an accident? No, um, I was the epitome of health. I, I started dancing five hours a day when I was seven years old. In fact, my nickname was Energizer Bunny because I never seemed to run out of any energy. So I was the epitome of health at 13. And my only warning sign, I remember I was getting my braces on um, and I was sitting in the dental chair for a long time and my elbows started to throb just in this really weird way. And I remember just, you know, stretching my arms out and thought, well, maybe I've held them in this position. And the next morning I woke up with pain in every joint and muscle in my body and a 103 degree temperature and could hardly move. And that was the first day of over four years of fighting for my life. So it, it literally. Was it infection? Yeah, the best at that time, obviously, you know, I, I went through anything you can imagine first in the medical world because that was 25 years ago. Um, so any alternative medicine was not near as streamlined or available, you know, or you know, there's no functional medicine um, that we all understand to a much better degree today. So for I'm sorry, functional two, medicine is the pits. I'm sorry to hear that that you are working with it. It's very, very um, skewed, I guess is the nicest thing I can say about it, and I would have nothing (laughs) to do with it. Okay. Well, I I think it's, you know, I'm I'm grateful we're bridging more gaps between um, medicine and world. Functional medicine is not bridging any gaps. It's old wine poured in a new bottle. Okay. Well, um, aside from that, um, my my what I was saying was my family didn't know really much other than Western medicine at the time. So and I Western, explored that. And Western medicine couldn't give you an actual diagnosis. No, they they I did every test scan known to man. They said that I had a rare viral infection that they couldn't diagnose and couldn't treat. Um, and so it was and didn't or this or that or the other thing. It was just some virus. Mm-hmm. And our antiviral drugs then, as now, are pretty specific, and so they're not don't really work in a general way. Right, exactly. Oh, essentially, I was I was sent home to die, um, being told that there was really nothing they could do. At that point, I got to where I lost the mass majority of my hair. My skin was yellow from my liver shutting down. I got so weak. I had days I couldn't even lift a finger or even speak. So it was it was really scary. Um, it was it was really scary. But I remember when the doctor first um, told me that I needed to accept that I was I was dying, and in fact sent a psychiatrist in to talk to me because he said I was um, living in denial of what was my existence and what I was experiencing. And you know, honestly, it was. I was really grateful at that time to, I loved life, but I was grateful to have a passion for something that really drove me because I just didn't accept that at 13 years old, that was the end of what my life was going to be. So I had no idea how I was even going to survive or what we were going to do, but I just decided that right then and there, I, I didn't accept that that was it. Um, and that, that took us on a path of, 
oh, trying to find anything and everything in between. Um, and I remember it was kind of interesting without knowing really anything at the time. I mean, I'm 13 years old about nutrition. I remember I was in a, in a hospital and they brought me down for breakfast and here I am so sick fighting for my life. And I, I remember them serving me, you know, being able to choose between all the different sugar cereals. And I just remember thinking, this is probably not what my body needs right now. Um, and that, that was just a real awakening of, okay, you know, what I eat either is adding to my immune system and therefore my ability to survive or detracting from it. So in that moment in time, you know, my family, my mom, I really credit her with being willing to do whatever possible for me to survive. Um, and of course, we, we dove into nutrition and how to support my body, um, herbs and different supplements and homeopathic medicine. But as far as what I do now, um, that was my first real, real introduction to how powerful the mind-body connection is. Because that was literally fascinating, the work that you are doing there. I was just yeah. I was just going over with my students yesterday some fairly advanced organic chemistry, and that is that compounds have weights, and the actual weights of things that the cells are willing to accept are very very small, and the weights of the compounds in supplements are a hundred times too big for the cells to accept. Mm. Well, interesting. Like, simply impossible for the body to accept anything from a supplement. In many cases, the supplements actually erode health. You managed to survive taking supplements, but you didn't get better because you were taking supplements. Yeah, no, I would say, you know, absolutely what mattered more in that regard was my nutrition. And I I mean, I believe in homeopathic medicine as far as my experience with it. Um, But but truthfully, yes, what what started me in my work with with the brain was how intricately I experienced how powerful that mind-body connection was. Because I, I had nights where literally I was afraid to go to sleep because I could feel my body was was so close to death. I felt like if I just surrendered that conscious control that my body just couldn't make it and wouldn't make it through the night. It was so exhausted. It was so sick. And that's when I really started to understand how powerful that mind-body connection is and that constant feedback loop that's happening not just to the brain to the body, but from the body to the brain. Um, and it absolutely helped me survive um, and impossible odds. But that was only my first life-altering experience um, so with my health. So did you, at that point, like use affirmations, visualizations? Did you make it up for yourself? Did you uh, read Louise Hay or the people who preceded her? Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't, I didn't know who Louise Hay was until um, my adult years. Um, nobody was talking to me about any of these things, which is crazy because uh, as I started studying the brain 20 years later, I realized I was harnessing my brain's neuroplasticity in a way I didn't understand. One really powerful way is I remember just thinking, you know, if I'm going to spend all this time in tests and scans, because um, I was being tested for everything under the sun, I just thought, you know, I'm going to spend this time to dance. And so that's what I would do. I would, I would dance in my mind. I would go through class and technique and movement patterns and see myself on stage. And I would do this 
you know, I did this for six years while I was enduring all these different tests, learning types of treatments. And it was crazy because I, I was out of dance for six years from age 14 to 20, which if you're going to be a professional athlete in anything, those are pivotal years. And I left as a young girl and came back a woman. And I remember at the time, it just made no sense um, to everybody how fast my capabilities came back. But 20 years later, understanding how the brain works and that through all of those years, I was harnessing its neuroplasticity to create those neural connections as if I had been dancing, as if I had the strength to dance. Um, it was just really amazing. I did stuff like that without anybody directing me. But if you understand the brain, it's wired to validate our beliefs. And I had a very strong belief. In fact, you know, a conviction that I would heal, that I would survive, and that I would have the strength and energy to dance again. And so your brain's wired to validate it. So since I had no external evidence my, with my health or what any of the experts were telling me, um, you know, my brain directed me to, to create intrinsic evidence. And so that's what I did without knowing really anything about neuroscience. I mean, this was 26 years ago. We didn't have podcasts or YouTube or, you know, the information that we're exposed to today. I would have had to go, you know, get a neuroscience academic journal, check it out from the library. But what I know is that my brain helped direct me to create that type of evidence that you would say is through visualization um, because my belief was so strong that it was possible and that I would survive and that I would heal. So in a way, so with, you visualized because you visualized yourself dancing. That's right. Yep. And then obviously had to visualize myself being healthy enough to do that. But on top of that, I remember um, getting in front of the mirror every day. And it was I actually had a long time where I didn't even like looking in the mirror because, you know, what, what was once strong and vital I just didn't recognize, you know, the person looking back at me. I was super weak and I looked really sick. But then I just decided um, that I would look myself in the mirror every day. And even when it didn't feel true and, and say things like, I am healing. I am getting stronger. My body is healing. Um, and, you know, some days were harder to say than others. Mm -hmm. But there was a strong, strong will to survive and, and live and, yeah, I was doing some things then that I had no idea what I was doing. It was just what I felt I had to do. Either I could say I'm dying or I could say I'm living. And obviously through what I experienced being exposed to a lot of people who were also very sick, I also saw how powerful the mind was in when people were communicating the opposite, right? I saw people less sick than me get more sick and even saw some people pass away and, and therefore also witnessed you know, how powerful it is, everything that we speak and communicate, and then all our cells are listening. All of our cells are listening. And I, I can't be strong enough in validating what you're saying. Both of us could just pull out reams of scientific evidence about what yeah. you're saying, and yet the vast majority of people don't believe us. Yeah, it's it's crazy too because yeah, now with all the, the even the knowledge that we have as neuroscience and able to mapping the brain, you can see the cells reacting based upon 
what we're speaking and what we're saying and what we're feeling. I mean, we're, we're energy and there's a constant feedback loop. So I hope it's opening more because we're even having more and more scientific data to back it up. But I, you know, I think what sometimes is hard with that is we've been um, conditioned to want to only be able to find the solution outside of us. And if we're talking about ourselves or listening to what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're doing, then that, that puts responsibility, you know, on us to take control of that in our life and with our health. And, you know, um, sometimes that's hard to do. But to me, it was the lifeline, you know, of being able to survive something I was told I wouldn't. So I found complete empowerment in it in that, hey, if I can't find the solution outside of myself, I'm realizing I have this incredible power within. Um, and and so, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's undeniable. But, yes, you're right. There's still a lot of resistance. Still a lot of resistance. It. I'm thinking of a poem. I'm not going to quote it. It's a very long poem, but I'll briefly summarize it by Cassia Berman. And she says, you know, I went to India looking for the goddess, and I found this goddess and that goddess, and I went to Nepal, and I went to Tibet, and I went to Africa. And she goes all over the world looking for the goddess. And the last lines of the poem says, goddess, you are such a sneaky bitch. You've been hiding in me all this time. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's a good a good humorous spin on it. Um yeah, we have innate intelligence. I mean, we can we can see that obviously with just when we cut our finger, our body knows what to do and it goes to repair and heal and we get a lot of blocks um that are just not allowing our mind and body to do what they do, which is to heal. Um and and I know that because I went through, you know, I went through a second life-altering experience six years ago when I had a failed hip surgery, and it launched my whole body into chronic pain. And now I went from being an elite athlete um, and being doing eight shows a week to now struggling to walk to having widespread nerve pain. Um, it was very deja vu, but in a whole new way as an adult and as a mother and a business owner, and I lost my careers. And um, in a similar way, they were telling, the doctors were telling me my nervous system had flipped a switch into pain. And thankfully, with what I'd understood, with what I'd gone through when I was younger, I, I, I didn't accept such diagnoses. I mean, I had fibromyalgia thrown at me, chronic regional pain syndrome, you know, stuff that, you know, they tell us has no fix. And, and then so they I offer thought, you well, opioids, which are going to make right. it worse, ultimately. Yes. It's, it's, I mean, I have such empathy for what people in pain go through. Absolutely. And I understand why people are looking for some degree of relief. But I was, you know, grateful that I had been through what I had gone through and, and first not want to just take that route and not feel what's happening in my body, but also believing that, well, if my nervous system can flip a switch into pain, well, it can flip it back. That's right. Right. And that's what really (laughs) dove me deep into the brain and neuroscience and pain science and in understanding that, yes, we feel pain in the body, but that's a signal sent from the brain and all pain comes from the brain. Actually, all pain is in the brain. That's right. It's hard to hear especially when you're in chronic pain. And I know I have been there. I've been in such pain that I needed to take two non-steroidal anti-inflammatories every two hours. Mm, I'm sorry. 
It's okay because we learn from that kind of pain. We learn what our resources are and how we can how we can use our brain to not repeat the pain. That's right. Yep. The pain is there. That's true, but my brain is repeating that pain, and that I can stop. Yes, and that's what's crazy is. I went to so many pain specialists and nobody talked to me about, hey, this is what's happening. The longer those pain pathways are being sent, the brain is sending those signals, the, the more the brain's getting hypervigilant, overprotective, hypersensitive. That's why the pain gets worse. That's why it gets triggered more easily. And those pain receptors are getting less specific, which is why over time it spreads. You know, and that's why, of course, with most people with chronic pain, you know, whatever it is, it's like, well, it's going to get worse over time and it's going to spread. Well, exactly. But that's because of what's happening in the brain, which means we can actually do something about that. And so in one way, when I figured this out, I realized, oh, my gosh, the solution isn't just in what I'm going to do to treat my physical body. I have to now rewire my brain. I have to rewire those pain pathways. But then again, that meant I could do something about it. And not be the victim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it was hell. I mean, I, I, to what you shared, I mean, I could take, because I had surgeries, I could take an, a leftover opiate and it wouldn't do anything because I had widespread nerve pain, right? And there's no, there's no relief from that. And it was absolute hell to live in. I couldn't even lift my own daughter and I was struggling to do daily tasks. But again, similar to what I went through when I was younger, I just refused to accept that what I was going through now had to be what the rest of my life would look like. Right. And I, and I think, you know, things happen to us, right? Illnesses happen, accidents, uh, a failed surgery, And we all, you know, can be victims to things like that. But then we always have the choice of whether or not we stay the victim. I wound up at an airport where my car wasn't. I won't go into the story. It was kind of odd. And wound up calling an Uber to get home. And the driver had clearly been in something had gone on. And... After we you know, were securely on the road and zipping toward home, the driver, you know, said, "You probably noticed that that I was burned." And I said, "Well, I saw something had happened." And he told me that he had been a truck driver, and that he had pulled over for the night, and that he'd done three things that had saved his life. He had turned off the engine. Most truck drivers will leave the engine running while they sleep. He had turned the engine off. He had left the cab lights on. Usually he turned them off when he went to sleep. And he'd left the driver's side window open so that when he awoke in flames, he could see where the window was and fling himself at it. Mm. And he was burned over a huge amount of his body. And he said, he said, so I could be laying at home waiting for the insurance money. He said, but I decided because I want to tell everybody, tell the people that you love, that you love them right now. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. 
I mean, I, that's what an amazing thing. choice to make rather yeah. than to be at home in his pain. And people kept saying to me, don't you want to lay down? And I'm like, no, actually, it's far better if I distract myself from my pain. The last thing I want to do is lay there and think about my pain. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly well, what he was saying. I'm not just going to lay home and think about my pain and the scarring all over my body. I'm going to get out here. I'm going to get in cars with people like him and say, tell the people you love you love them. And spread the word. Wow. I love that. Yeah, powerful. Yeah. yeah. Life is a gift. Um, and I think... You know, that, that also can be eroded just by nature of, of challenges and our culture and what our world is, is trying to tell us. And, you know, life is a gift. And I think when you've had to fight for that, the gift in that is realizing how precious it is. Now, one of the things I know that you work with is the reticular activating system. And I'm going to bet that most people listening think I have just said a bunch of gibberish. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. The reticular activating system is is really a superpower we all have. Um, the network of neurons at our brainstem, whose job is to filter information. Now, the filters are based on what we think about, what we believe, and what we focus on. And based upon that, every day, the reticular activating system is taking all the information we're exposed to and only letting the information in that aligns with what we think and focus and believe and blocking out all the rest. What it has to do, it's a self-protective mechanism based upon... They don't, they don't believe you. you. I can hear them not believing you. They go, no, 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 no. I get it all. I, I get all the... No, no, really, really. Listen to what Ashley is saying. Right. Yeah, this is science. This is no argument. This is science. We've this studied, is actually happening. Your brain is actually choosing what it's going to let you see. Yep, and it's all it's all happening without your consent, right? This is the brain is the only self-regulating organ. It's 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 doing this again because we have so much information. Our brain can only let in, and you know, a simple example is whether or not you get a new uh, car. Um, and in a certain color, you'll notice all of a sudden you're way more aware of that same car on the road. Um, and suddenly it's like, wow, everybody has this car. It's because now it's information that matters to your brain, whereas beforehand it wasn't. And so it's in that very simple way, but in a more obvious, very serious way, based upon what we think and what we say and what we focus on and what we believe, you're directing your brain every day to gather evidence that supports that and block out anything else. And so that's why in everything, whether we think we can or we can't, we will be absolutely right. Our body believes every word we think. That's right. It can't overcome what we don't believe to be true. Right? I don't again, know if, if you read about this experiment, but to me it was really stunning. They took volunteers, and they had them sit at a computer screen, and various images went past on the computer screen, and they were wired to receive electrical shocks. And when they saw one particular image, that was accompanied by a mild shock. And when they saw a different image, and these were, would erratically appear, they would see images that wouldn't shock them. Most of them wouldn't shock them, but one would give them a mild shock. One would give them a weak shock, and one would give them a very strong shock. 
And they did this every day for six days, actually receiving shocks. And they were scanning their brains while they were doing it. On the seventh day, they sat at the computer. They saw the same symbols. They did not receive any electrical shocks, but their body and their brain reacted to those symbols as though they were. Yep, absolutely. That's why the placebo effect works too, right? Because of the belief in what you're taking. And again, the placebo effect is is backed by tons of scientific studies. Especially Um, Ted Ted Kapchuk's work, uh, who has shown very, very clearly that if you really want your placebo to be effective, it should be expensive. It should be offered by somebody that you think is really great, and um, it should be um, at least a little bit painful. Right, to believe that it's working or doing something, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what, you know what, so I always tell people, um, you know, many people have in, experienced uh, anxiety attacks or panic attacks. Now, a lot of times that can come on when you're alone in your room, nothing is happening, you are safe, no one else is there, but by creating a scenario in your mind, your body reacts as if it is happening. So we all have seen evidence of how powerful what we think and focus and believe on our body reacts to. So I always tell people, if that's true in a disempowering way, and many people have experienced that, then it's also true in an empowering way. And your body can react to and believe something empowering that you're focusing on and communicating. Because whatever the brain does to hurt us, it also can do to help us. Um, and how we get sick, we can heal. And how, like I said, if I'm wired into pain, I can rewire out. And so I, I always like to bring that up because so many people have an experience with panic and anxiety. And that then, again, shows to them the truth of what we're talking about here and how powerful that feedback loop is between the brain and the body at all times. Ashley, it's wonderful talking to you, and I apologize that it is such a short amount of time that we have, but we're almost at the end. Will you tell people how they can get in touch with you if they want more? Yes, absolutely. Um, great place to be is my website, ashleydelello.com, and my name is spelled A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H-D-I-L-E-L-L-O, not easy at all, ashleydelello.com. That's a great place. I have a free training on the brain that is going to really help you to understand what you're experiencing. There's a free mind-body blueprint. Um, I also have a podcast you can access from there. And then anyone who's, you know, really interested in thinking, this is what I'm missing, the loop between my brain and my body and my nervous system, you know, then they can uh, schedule a free consult there to see if my process of bioemotional healing is a right fit for them. And I'm on all social media channels for my name, Ashley DiLello, as well. Thank you. One of the images that I use is the idea that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And so I want to thank you for the beautiful, um, in fact, brilliant threads that you've added to this weaving tonight, reminding us that our envisioning of the reweaving of the healing cloak of the ancients is the most important part of this reweaving. 
So thank you. Thank you very much, Ashley. And thank, thank you, you, Ellen, for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Thank you, Ashley. Green blessings, everybody, and good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.